0: chapter four of diversions in sicily by h festing jones this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four the wine ship peppino usually took half an hour off and came about noon to wherever i was sketching to fetch me to lunch one morning as we walked along nearly every man we met smiled and said to him buona festa peppino and he smiled and returned their salutes with the same words he accounted for it by saying it was his onomastico, the day of the saint whose name he bears. What, said I, is it San Peppino? and you never told me? I wish you many happy returns of the day. But it cannot be everybody's onomastico as well, and you say Buona Festa, Peppino to all who speak to you. He replied that it was the 19th of March, the Festa of San Giuseppe, and assured me that he had said Buona Festa, Peppino to no one who is not a namesake so that about two-thirds of the men at Castellinaria must have been baptized Giuseppe. "'Then that explains it,' said I. "'I was beginning to think that you might have become engaged to be married, and they were congratulating you.' "'That did not do at all.' "'I got no time to be married,' said he. "'Too much busy. Besides, marriage, very bad thing. Look here, I shall tell you, listen to me. Marriage is good for the woman, is bad for the man.' Every marriage makes to be one woman more in the world, one man less. Did you understand? And they are not happy together. We have a bad example in this town. Surely you don't mean to tell me that here in Castellinaria, where everything moves so smoothly and so peacefully, you have an unhappy married couple?' He replied solemnly, slowly, and decidedly, "'Not one. All.' He continued in his usual manner did you read the ten commandments for the people who shall be married if to find shall be showing you it says non quarrelate la prima volta did you understand don't begin to quarrel because you will never stop after the quarrel you make the peace but it is too late the man shall forget perhaps but the woman shall forget never 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 and you have lost i was telling to my friend he continued "'Please do not be married, because when you would be married "'you would not love any more that lady.' "'And he was telling to me that he would marry, "'because it would be a good thing for him, "'good wife, good food, good care, and many things like this. "'And I was telling to him, "'I would be seeing if you shall be repeating these words "'when you shall be married one year. "'The year was past, but my friend, he don't be saying nothing to me. "'Excuse me, I am not so bad man to ask him i found him many times in the street but he would not meet me would not speak oh no and he is not laughing any more not one friend fifteen friends all married never they are telling they are happy having disposed of the question of marriage he told me that carmelo had been to see me and would call again he had already been several times and i was puzzled to know what he wanted he could hardly be wanting to propose an excursion for i had already made him get leave and take me for several but as sooner or later an opportunity must occur for clearing up the mystery i left it alone for the present and asked peppino who always knew everything that was going on in the neighbourhood what ship it was i had seen coming into the bay and making for the port he said she was the sorella di ninu returning from naples where she had been with a cargo of wine he knew because she belonged to his cousin Vanni, who was a wine-merchant, and if I would give up a morning's sketching, he would give up a morning's work, take me down to the port, introduce me to his cousin, and show me over the ship. Accordingly, next morning, Carmelo got leave from his padrone and drove us down the zigzags among the flowers, while Peppino told me about his cousin. His father had two brothers. One was the father of Vanni and used to keep a small wine-shop down in the port and vani who had a voice studied singing and went on the opera stage the other brother emigrated to america and never married very little was heard of him except that he was engaged in some speculative business until at last news came of his death had he died six months before he would have left nothing but it happened that the markets were favorable and he died rich after the usual delays, his money came and was divided between his surviving brothers. Vanni's father enlarged the wine shop, bought vineyards and a ship, took his son away from the stage and sent him to the university. In the course of time he enlarged his business and took Vanni into partnership. Peppino's father gave up being Sagrestano, bought vineyards in the Albergo della Madonna, con Giardino, and educated his son. The part of Peppino's education that was most useful to him was his two years in England, and that did not cost his father anything, for he would only take money enough for the journey, and all the time he was away he kept himself and saved, so that he not only repaid his father and paid for his journey home, but had money in the bank. By this time we had arrived at the quay, and Peppino went off to his uncle's shop for information as to approaching the sorella di Ninu, leaving me alone with Carmelo. He seized the opportunity. "'I have been to see you several times because I wanted to tell you "'that I also have been in prison.' "'Hello, Carmelo,' I said. "'Have you been trying to murder your father?' "'No,' he said. "'It was not my father. "'It was a friend. "'We quarrelled. "'I drew my knife and stabbed him in the arm. "'It happened last year. "'I sympathized as well as I could and assured him that it should make "'no difference in the relations between us. "'Why did I say this?' why was i so indulgent towards carmelo and so implacable to rosario it seems as though an englishman may also be a mass of contradictions it is true that parricide is perhaps the most repulsive form that murder can take but i do not think this had anything to do with it for ordinary murder is sufficiently repulsive i believe i was influenced by a conversation we had during our last expedition carmelo had told me that he intended soon to leave private service to marry and go into partnership with rosario but carmelo i had objected would not that be rather risky don't you remember that rosario has been to prison for trying to kill your father oh that all happened a long time ago and rosario has married and settled down since then evidently carmelo had thought this over and had felt uncomfortable that i should shun rosario for being a jailbird and not shun him who was one also It seemed to indicate considerable delicacy of feeling on his part, and I was pleased with him for taking so much trouble to get the confession off his chest, whereas Rosario had treated his disgrazia as merely an annoying little accident that might happen to any gentleman. Peppino returned, stood on the quay, and shouted to the ships. Presently a small boat containing Vanni and a sailor detached herself from the confusion and rowed to our feet. I was introduced, and, amid the usual compliments, we took our seats and glided past the Sacro Cuore, the Due Sorelle, the Divina Providenza, the Maria Concetta, the Stella Maris, the La Pace, the Independente, the Nuova Bambina, and many more. Peppino called my attention to the names of the ships, and said how commonplace and dull they were, after the romantic names he had seen on the beach at Brighton. He gave, as an instance, Pride of the Ocean— which i remembered having often seen there it was all very well but somehow it had never impressed me as hitting the bull's-eye of romance during their voyage through time the words of one's own language become barnacled over with associations so that we cannot see them in their naked purity as we see the words of a foreign tongue i translated pride of the ocean into vanto del mare and offered it to peppino it seemed to me to gain but he said i had knocked all the poetry out of it one of the ships was the riunione dei due fratelli i inquired whether the brothers had quarrelled and made it up yes said he that is the worst of family quarrels they do not last what do you mean peppino surely it is better for brothers to be friends than to quarrel if to be friends inside also then is it a good thing and much better but look here excuse me the brothers are quarrelling and fighting and are failing to kill each others and the parents are telling to don't be quarrelling and the brothers are telling that they would be quarrelling and the parents are telling to don't be stupid and to embrace and became friends and the brothers are telling go away parents and to leave alone to be quarrelling in peace but it is too difficult and many months are passing and the brothers are please what is stanky excuse me it is fatigued and are embracing to make pleasure to the parents and to make riunione outside and to baptize the ship but inside it is riunione not at all it is to kiss with the lips and the heart is hating each others this is not a good thing the boat with the name that pleased me best was not there peppino told me about it it belonged to him before the money came from america and he used it to ferry tourists across the bay and into the bowels of the promontory through the mouth of a grotto where the reflected lights are lovely on a sunny day. He called it the Anime del Purgatorio. This would have been just the morning to visit the caves, for there were no clouds. We stood on the deck of the Sorella di Ninu, looking up through the brown masts and the rigging into the blue sky, and watching the gulls as they glided and circled above us and turned their white wings to the sun. Vanni did the honors of his ship, showed us his barrels and casks, nearly all empty now, and made us look down into the hold, where there was a cask capable of holding, I forget how much, but it was so big that it could never have been got into the ship after it was made, so it had to be built inside. Then we must taste his wine, of which he still had some in one of the casks, and the captain brought tumblers, and another queer-shaped glass with a string round its rim in which to fetch the wine up. It was about the size and shape of a fir-cone, the broad upper part being hollow to hold the wine, and the pointed lower part solid. The captain held it by the string, and dropped it neatly down through the bung-hole as one drops a bucket into a well. Its heavy point sank through the wine without any of that swishing and swashing which happens with a flat-bottomed buoyant wooden bucket, and he drew it up full and gleaming like a jewel. The first lot was used to rinse the tumblers inside and out, and then thrown overboard, sparkling and flashing in the sunlight as it fell into the sea. The taster was lowered again, and the tumblers filled. Vani, seeing I admired the taster, wanted to give it to me, but it was the only one he had and was in constant use when customers came to the ship, so I declined it, and he promised to bring one for me next time his ship made a voyage. In the meantime, i took one of the tumblers as a ricordo then we went into the captain's cabin and sat round his table listening to his stories and smoking cigarettes every now and then a silence came over us broken occasionally by one of us saying suddenly Ebene, siamo qua." well here we are this sort of thing formerly used to make me feel nervous it was as though i had failed to entertain my friends or as though they had given up the hope of entertaining me After experiencing it several times, however, I came to take a different and more accurate view. There was no occasion to do or say anything. We were enjoying one another's society. Vanni told us he was thinking of taking a cargo of Marsala to England, and what would the English people say to it? Now the Marsala was very good, and, according to Vanni, could be put upon the market at a very low price. But I foresaw difficulties." Knowing that he had sung in opera in Naples, Palermo, Malta, and many other places, I asked if he liked music. He said he adored it. Music, he declared, was the most precious gift of God to man, more precious even than poetry. He had his box at the opera and always occupied it during the season. And he enjoyed music of all kinds, not only the modern operas of Mascagni, Puccini, and so on, but also the old music of Verdi donizetti and bellini i asked if he did not like le nozze di figaro he had never heard of it nor of don giovanni nor of fidelio he had heard the names of beethoven and mozart but not of handel schubert or brahms he had heard also of wagner but had never heard any of his music i was not surprised he should not have heard of those composers who are not famous for operas nor by his odd list of so-called old musicians but I was surprised that he should place music so decidedly above poetry. I said it appeared to me he had practically expressed the opinion that Donizetti was a more precious gift of God to man than Dante. Put like that, he did not hold to what he had said, and confessed he had been speaking without due consideration. But Peppino said that in some respects Donizetti was a better man than Dante. He was smoother and better tempered, and many things like this peppino had been brought up like every italian to worship dante but when he went to london and mastered the english language when he began to read our literature and to think for himself then he saw that dante was un falso idolo every nation gets the poet she deserves and italy has her faults but what asked peppino what has italy done to deserve her dreary dante on the other hand with all his admiration for England, he could hardly believe that we really do deserve our Shakespeare. I was beginning to feel giddy, as though the sorella di Ninu, instead of being quietly in port, was out on the tumbling ocean in a sudden gale, so very unusual is it to hear such opinions in Italy. But Peppino is full of surprises. To recover my balance I turned the conversation back to the wine, taking my way through the music, and telling them that in England, we thought very highly of the Austrian and German composers, and asking Vanni if he would recommend any one to introduce their compositions into Sicily. He replied that if it was pleasing music it might be successful, but that if it was very different from Italian music it would hardly pay to bring it over until the people had been educated. I feared it would be the same with the wine. He must first educate us to forsake our old friends, beer, whisky, and tea before he could create a market on which he could put his marsala. Driving back, I told Peppino about the lottery at Castelvetrano, and how my numbers had lost. He inquired whether my birthday fell during the week I bought the ticket. It did not. Then, said he, of course you could not be winning, and Angelo very stupid to let you play those numbers. It seems that numbers are no good unless they are connected with something that happens to you during the week this explained why at selinunte the brigadier had discarded the price of my clothes which was not his concern but mine and belonged to the week in which i had bought them and preferred to play the number that fell from the cigarettes of which he was at the moment actually smoking one if there shall be a railway accident continued peppino on thursday night then shall there be going plenty much people and shall sleep in the ground to be first on friday morning because the office shall shut early to take the papers to palermo to turn the wheel the saturday and if to come out the number the people shall be gaining many money but if to don't come out shall be gaining no money this is not a good thing they think it is fortunate the please what is sogno excuse me it is the dream but it must be the dream in the week you play when the man in the dream shall be coming from the other world and shall be saying please you play this number then they believe you shall certainly win but if to play the number very uncertain to win they live in a state of wild hope after buying their tickets until the numbers are declared and the odds being enormously in favor of the government the gamblers usually lose then they live in a state of miserable despair until the possession of a few soldi the happening of something remarkable or merely the recollection of the departed joys of hope compared with the present actual depression urges them to try their luck again, so that the gambler's life consists of alternations of feverish expectation and maddening dejection. This is not a good thing, but it is a worse thing for the gambler who wins. He sees how easy it is, and is encouraged to believe he can do it every time. In his exaltation he stakes again and loses all his winnings instead of only a few soldi. If he does not do this he spends the money in treating his friends and getting into debt over it, and has to pawn his watch, so that the Genovese, by way of wishing his enemy ill-luck, while appearing to preserve the proprieties, says to him, Ti auguro un ambo." I hope you may win in ambo. Peppino does not approve of the lottery, yet he has not made up his mind that it ought to be abolished. It certainly does harm, but so deep is the natural instinct for gambling that innumerable private lotteries would spring up to replace it and they would do far more mischief because they would be in the hands of rogues, whereas the government manages the affair quite honestly the government pays no attention to dreams or ladies in white dresses or anything that happens during the week it bases its calculations on the mathematical theory of chances and gathers in the soldi week after week so that it makes an annual profit of about three million sterling besides if people are willing to pay for the pleasure of a week of hope why should they not be allowed to do so the uneducated as a class ought to contribute to the expenses of governing their country and the lottery is a sure and convenient way of collecting their contributions it is literally what is often called la tassa sull'ignoranza, the tax upon ignorance peppino even uses the lottery himself but in a way of his own he chooses two numbers every week according to what occurs to him as though he were going in for an ambo and instead of buying a ticket puts four soldi into an earthenware money-box the numbers he has chosen do not come out and he considers that he has won his four soldi and has put them by in this way he has accumulated several money-boxes full And if ever his numbers come out he intends to break his boxes and distribute the contents among the deserving poor as a way of making money peppino prefers the course of always doing whatever there is to be done in the house and in the vineyard a few years ago his father's vines were suffering from disease he made inquiries studied the subject ascertained the best course to pursue and with his own hands and some little assistance rooted up all the plants and laid down American vines, with the result that the yield is now more than double what it ever was before. And this, he thinks, was a great deal better than losing money week after week in the lottery, not only because of the result, but because of the interest he took in the work. In fact, he attends to his own business and finds every moment of the day occupied. He says, Always to begin one thing before to finish some other thing. This is the good life certainly it seems to agree with him. There is not much the matter with Peppino's health, nor with his banking account, nor with his conscience, so far as I can judge. Everyone in the town is fond of him, and he is always happy and ready to do anyone a good turn. Indeed, his popularity is the only thing that causes me any uneasiness about him. There is generally something wrong about a man who has no enemies, but there are exceptions to every rule." the poor professor on the other hand has at least one enemy and that the worst a man can have namely himself the evening before he went away he took me into his confidence and consulted me about his future and his prospects he is married but his wife is out of her mind and he has three sons all doing badly one of them very badly he told me he was not at the moment employed as professor He was living on his patrimony, which consisted of a few acres of vines. He was gradually selling his land and spending the proceeds, and he thought this the best plan, because the vines were all diseased and did not bring him in enough money to keep himself and his family. Should I recommend him to come to England, learn English, and try to keep himself by the exercise of his profession? It was like Vanny's idea of bringing his wine to England. I could only say I was afraid we already had enough professors. THEN HE THOUGHT HE MIGHT WRITE AND EARN A LITTLE MONEY THAT WAY. HE HAD READ ALL SIR WALTER SCOTT'S NOVELS IN A TRANSLATION. THIRTY-TWO VOLUMES, I THINK HE SAID. HE ADMIRED THEM IMMENSELY AND WAS THINKING OF WRITING A ROMANCE. HE HAD, IN FACT, AN IDEA FOR ONE, AND WOULD I BE SO GOOD AS TO GIVE HIM MY OPINION ABOUT IT? A YOUNG LADY IS DESIRED BY HER FATHER TO MARRY A MAN SHE DOES NOT LOVE, A RICH MAN, MUCH OLDER THAN HERSELF. SHE REFUSES but later on consents to make the sacrifice. After a year of unhappy married life she meets a man of her own age, falls in love with him, and one day her husband surprises them together, in his rage kills them both, and commits suicide. Now, said the professor, what do you think of my theme? I said that, so far as I could remember Sir Walter Scott's novels at the moment, they contained nothing from which anyone could say he had taken his plot which of course was greatly to his credit on the score of originality but i begged to be allowed to defer giving any further opinion until he had finished the work so much depends upon the way in which these things are carried out he had also written a poem entitled completo of which he gave me a copy it was he said un grido dell'anima he had not found a publisher for it yet but if i would translate it into english and get it published in london I could send him any profits that might accrue. I showed it to Peppino, who swore he remembered something very like it in an Italian magazine, and that the professor had had nothing to do with it beyond copying it. I translated it without rhymes, the professor not having gone to that expense. I have not offered the result to any English publisher. None of them would receive it as Peppino did when I showed it to him. He said I had performed a miracle that i had converted a few lines of drivelling nonsense just the sort of stuff that would attract the professor into a masterpiece but i am afraid the prestige of the english language may have blinded peppino to any little defects as it made him see more romance than i could find in the names of the english boats this was my masterpiece full inside the train is full ah me the load of travellers The engine whistles. Ah, me, the piercing shriek. My heart is burdened. Ah, me, the weight of sorrows. My soul exclaims. Ah, me, the despairing cry. O train, have pity upon me, for you are strong and I am weak. Transfer to my heart the load of your passengers, and take in exchange the weight of my sorrows next time i saw the professor he was in charge of a newspaper kiosk in palermo looking older and more dilapidated and still waiting for the manna to fall from heaven he complained of the slackness of trade he also complained that the work was too hard and was killing him so that one way or the other he intended to shut up the kiosk and look out for something else End of chapter four